Good morning. You shall not steal. That about says it all, right? Let me uh, start off with the question. Are you a thief? All right, that's a loaded question. So um, it's a real simple point. You know, don't take what's yours. Don't steal. And if you could bring up the PowerPoint. And the subtitle was, when, you, when someone steals, someone else pays. Very simple. You shall not steal. And I'm home here. The clicker doesn't work. Put that image in your mind. Just don't steal. A definition. This is going to be one of these days. There we go. Definition. To take, one another's, to take another person's property without permission or legal right and without intending to return it. All right, that's pretty straightforward. I haven't lost anybody yet. But just in case somebody didn't get it, could you go ahead and show the video right now? Thank you for indulging me with a little bit of humor there. When we think of stealing, we think about crimes that involve large amounts of money. And here's just a few I want to run through with you. Insurance fraud. That's, this is just for non-healthcare-related claims. There are $40 billion per year um, in the U.S. where there are false claims. And if you do the math and figure it out, and this is like for home insurance, car insurance, that it averages uh, cost that gets passed along to everybody is a $400 to $700 per year increase in your premiums. All right, somebody pays. Theft in the workplace. Taking from a company's inventory. All right. The price tag was estimated to be $15 billion. That's taking pens and paper and uh, floppy disk and computer monitors and keyboards and desk and whatever's not nailed down finds its way out the door. Large construction companies have tools missing, building supplies missing, even heavy pieces of equipment operating, you know, the bulldozers that come up missing. $15 billion. And the price for that is as it gets passed along um, my flipper, is 45 you know it gets passed along to clients and ultimately to customers so each person on, in the United States 330 million average cost is $45 a person now you don't get a bill for that but you pay for that in terms of higher costs and the products and services that you pay for Another form of theft in the workplace is wasted time. People playing on their cell phones, surfing the internet, water uh, cooler gossip, to the tune of $650 billion. Tim, did you know that your workers only do two hours and 53 minutes of productive work every day? Yeah. <laughs> So that means you're paying them about two and a half times more than they're worth. So, Sam, you may get a pay cut after this. <laughs> I'll make a joke later about stealing the batteries, okay? All right. This price, as it gets passed along to consumers, comes to the tune of about $2,000 a year per person, okay? Identity theft, that's another big ticket thing. You probably see commercials. Every year about 17 million people are affected by it. If you are unfortunate enough to be a victim, 
um, it will cost you about $1,300 to extricate yourself from the problem in terms of overdraft fees, legal expenses, just to clean up the mess. Now, the cost, one of the aspects of identity theft has to do with credit card fraud. And the estimated cost for that is about $16 billion a year. And if you do the math and spread it out over every person in the United States, that ends up costing everybody $49 a year. All right, you think of those crimes, you think of, oh, that's out there, that's someplace far away. Here are some less obvious ways of stealing. Um, sugar packets, you know, you go to a restaurant and you see those little displays, and there's also condiments, and there's also, um, I have no control over this at all. Uh, if you go, one more, napkins, you don't have to go through the whole, but anyway, um, it wouldn't be Sunday if the clicker didn't work, right? Um, you go in a restaurant and you pick up, they supply those things for you. I can go back. Condiments, sugar packs, you know, to enjoy with your meal, right? They're part of the cost. Sugar packs, I looked on Amazon, if you buy a, a box of 1,000, it costs a little less than two cents per packet. Ketchup, those little Heinz things you tear open, about six or seven cents. And napkins cost about a penny. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, that's there for you to use for your meal. You, but a lot of people take those things with them when they leave. If you came over to my house and I served you a meal, I would offer whatever you needed to make your meal pleasant. You wouldn't leave my house putting the sugar <laughs> jar in one pocket, the ketchup bottle in another, and grab a bunch of napkins and go home to supply your Memorial Day picnic, right? We'll make it a little more personal. If somebody came to your house, you wouldn't be too happy if they took your sugar bowl and your ketchup bottle and your napkins, right? All of those costs get passed along. Now, you may say, what's, the, what's two cents? Well, two cents over a million for a sugar packet adds up to be a lot over time. And the food industry is very competitive. So if they could pass along those costs or those savings, they would. But they have to pass along the cost to the next customers. And other things that people steal and walk away with is, you know, if you're ever signed into a conference, you, know, you need to sign in. Sometimes the pens are missing because the previous person took the pen. Oh, Sam, you're such a high maintenance. Thank you. What, did I grab the wrong clicker? <laughs> yeah. If you ever use the restroom at a, at a, uh, at a restroom, restaurant or even at a business, Toilet paper. People like to steal toilet paper. That's why you see those big rolls of toilet paper and they're all locked up in those special containers. That's so people won't take them home. Coworker, taking coworkers' food from the refrigerator. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but in our office, we had somebody who used to bring in a carton of cream for their coffee. Well, they noticed that the, the creamer kept disappearing. You know, and it's like, you don't want to complain too much about it, but this kept going on over time. And it just, this person got fed up with it. So what they did was they brought in a carton of creamer and they laced it with X-lax. <laughs> the problem was self-correcting. It's amazing what people will steal. Hotel items. I travel a lot for my job. I have gone into a room where the artwork was missing on the wall. Now, i got to tell you, hotel artwork is really not worth looking at, but I could tell that it was missing. I went to turn the lights on in the room. There was a lamp on a desk, lamp over the recliner. The lights wouldn't work. Somebody had taken the light bulbs. 
So I'm sitting in the dark, so at least I can watch TV. So I pick up the clicker. It didn't work, just like the <laughs> somebody had taken the batteries out of the remote. So at this time, I pick up the phone, I call the front desk, I tell them all this, because I don't want them to think that I stole this stuff, and so, so I call them, let them know. But anything that's not nailed down, people will take. Hotels just incur the cost of towels and washcloths and pillows and blankets missing. And that's, quote-unquote, the, co the cost of doing business. And unfortunately, that's just a euphemism for saying we were robbed. But all these costs get passed along to the next customer. Other types of stealing. Did you ever get too much change back when you bought something and you knew it, but you didn't correct it? Plagiarizing. I don't know if there's any students in here that are probably with Luke this morning, but taking credit for somebody else's work when you write a paper, that's a form of stealing. There's not a monetary cost with that, but there's a cost of integrity. People copy software. Another thing that people still is not returning something that's lost if you know who's, who owns it. And it is amazing the number of people who say, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. So if they find it, it's theirs, regardless of if they know who owns it. And a, a more bold form of stealing is people not making full payments for a debt or service. They won't pay the last installment. They won't pay the full amount because... They know it's not worth the contractor's effort uh, to track down that extra cost. So they, it's another way of stealing, not paying the full price. So in your outline, who pays for all this? The cost of theft is passed along to the consumers, to all of us. When someone steals, someone pays. Nothing is cheap. Now, another form of stealing you may not have thought about is stealing from yourself. And you can do that by unwise spending. All right? You can spend yourself into debt. And in your outline, excessive or needless spending, or by excessive or needless spending, you're stealing your future. You're indebting your, you're putting yourself in debt, requiring you to work to pay off what you purchased. Now, we all need food, right? Memorial Day's coming up, hot dogs and burgers, right? We need food, but we don't need filet mignon and lobster tail. But wouldn't it be great if we went out after service and they were serving filet mignon and lobster tail? Maybe our visitors would stay with us if we did that. Transportation, we all need to get from point A to point B. This is a nice gray color, I think it's a Nissan Sentra, four wheels, get you to where you're going. And this car, well, four wheels, a little bit different shade of gray. It's a 700 series BMW, and the only difference between the car on the right and the car on the left is just a mere $60,000. Housing, four walls and a roof, what else could you need? Well, Pastor Ben was kind enough to send me a picture of his house down in the city, so... We can get ourselves in trouble if we can't distinguish between what we want and what we need. The Bible says, keep deception and lies far from me. Keep me neither. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I will not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. 
Basically what the proverb is saying is be content with what you have. And it's probably one of the uh, best lessons in life that we can do. Otherwise, we put ourselves in debt and we will steal. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that nice things are bad. I'm just saying that if you can't afford them or you should not afford them, then that's a problem. And as I was going through and preparing the message, I was thinking about stealing and how it fit in with the other commandments. And, and, and the way my mind works is that they all kind of fit together. The first commandment is, um, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, if God tells you not to steal and you steal, you're putting yourself in the driver's seat. So you're actually putting yourself ahead of God. So you're violating the first commandment. The second commandment is you're to have no graven images. Well, by stealing something, there's some object out there that got your attention, that you focused your attention upon, and it caused you to alter your behavior to steal. Taking God's name in vain, when I, when I spoke on that a few weeks ago, um, another way of taking God's name in vain is misrepresenting God by how you live your life. And by stealing, we're emptying God's name of meaning because we were misrepresenting him. Stealing makes honoring the Sabbath an act of hypocrisy. The Sabbath is a day to set aside, to worship God, to reflect on all that he's done for you, all he has provided for you. And by stealing, what you're saying is, he has not done enough for you. Stealing dishonors your family, dishonors your parents. This ought to be an interesting one. Stealing is a form of murder. You've heard the expression, time is money. Your time, your life on earth consists of your time, and you invest a portion of your time at your job in exchange for money. So if you take someone's money or someone's possessions, you're taking um, uh, investment of their time that they spent at their job, and by taking that investment of time, in essence, you're taking a portion of their life. Interesting thought. Stealing another person's spouse, the commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. Stealing is a lie about your character as a Christian. It's also a lie about God's character as he is gracious and he is kind and he is giving. And stealing reveals that you're coveting another's possessions. It got your attention and you're going after it. Paul says in regards to the commandments, he says this in Romans. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, which is what we're talking about today. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when you hear that last phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, you should immediately think of the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So by stealing or breaking any of these commandments, the filling on your car and your bulletin is, then you're not loving God or others. If you're stealing, you're not loving God or others. Paul also said when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he was writing to believers, people who once were not believers who became believers, and he in this instance addresses stealing specifically. He says, He who steals must steal no longer. All right, that's good advice. But Paul goes on, and there's more to the Christian life than not doing something. He says, But rather he must labor, performing his own with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. 
So a question for you. Some of us, we, every once in a while, we probe ourselves and say, am I really a believer? Is there a difference that Jesus has made in my life? Well, here's a little test for you. Another filling in your blank. Are you a taker or are you a giver? Are you a taker or are you a giver? If we've accepted Christ into our hearts, we have his Holy Spirit. We've got a new perspective. We've got a new attitude, a new set of values. And we should no longer be self-centered. We should be other-centered. So are you a taker or are you a giver? Now, stealing, what's the penalty for stealing? Well, it kind of depends on where you are. I'll let you look at that picture and let me explain it. It's, a, uh, it's from a town in Iran. And you see the little boy laying on the ground. He's eight years old. He stole a piece of bread from a farmer's market. And according to Sharia law, that's what the penalty is. I figured now in the sermon you need something to wake you up, so I thought that would be a, a shocking picture. But don't ever let anybody tell you that every religion is the same. What's the Bible say the penalty is? If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. And Proverbs backs this up a little bit, saying, Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. So what the Bible is saying is, is that the cost or the penalty for stealing is restitution. So if any of you have stolen anything, restitution, make it right. If you come in to work late, stay late. If you've borrowed your neighbor's tools, give them back. But it's interesting as far as penalties for the commandments is the first seven, the, the punishment was, was death. It was capital punishment. This is the first in the list of commands that uh, it is not a capital punishment. All right. Let me go in a little bit different direction here. Can we steal from God? 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. When you and I buy something... We take it into our possession, and it's ours to do with as we wish. All of us have been bought with the blood of Jesus. God paid a tremendous price for us. We are of great value to him. He paid a lot for us. And somewhere in our being, there's a mark of ownership for God that we belong to him. But not only did he pay for us, he maintains us, he sustains us, he gives us our life, our breath, our health, our jobs, our family, our friends, and also he's given us the gift of eternal life. So what should our response be to God? Romans 1, 12, 1 says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are to give our lives to him 
for him to use as he wishes. If we take our lives, you know, if we come to church on Sunday, we believe in Jesus, but we go home and we do what we want with our lives, we are taking ourselves out of God's hands. We could either submit, we could either take our matters in our own hands or we could turn things over to God. So another question to you is, are you withholding yourself from God? Are you withholding yourself from God? Because if you are, you are committing a form of stealing. How else can we steal from God? Remember our friend Malachi the prophet from the retreat back in October? We were talking about defiled worship. A little bit later in the book of Malachi, he's speaking on behalf of God. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But I say to you, but you say, how have, you, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows... Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord. Now some say that tithing is an Old Testament concept, it's not applicable anymore. I don't know, I'm not sure. And usually people that say that, they say, well, we just need to give whatever God lays on our heart. And many take that to mean to give little. And some take it to mean nothing at all. And what they're referring to is a passage in 2 Corinthians where it says, each one must do just as he is proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what that verse is meant to say is that whatever you decide between you and God, that's, that's what you give and give cheerfully. And like I said, people take that to mean, well, I don't have to give. But you need to put it in context. The verse immediately before it says this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul's using a farming, uh, farming or an agricultural analogy is if a farmer plants little, he's going to harvest little. If he plants a lot, he's going to reap a lot. There is a law of proportionality. And I would say that this verse does not point in the direction of giving less. It's pointing in the direction of giving more. Christians should be the most generous people on the planet, but unfortunately we're not. On a given Sunday, you can, churches can pretty much count on $26 per person per week for an offering. Now, tithers, and tithers, I should have said earlier, are people who give 10%, a tithe is a tenth, only make up 10 to 25% of a congregation. Today, Christians on average give 2.5% of their income to, to God's work. 
Interestingly enough, during the Depression, Christians gave more, 3.3%. It's interesting, today we have more, but we give less. And this ought to blow your mind. If Christians tithed, if Christians gave 10% of their income, there'd be an additional $165 billion available. What could you do with $165 billion? We could have a heck of an impact on the world. $25 billion could relieve global hunger and deaths from preventable diseases over a period of five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. What a better way to make someone self-sufficient and independent by educating them. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. And there would still be $112 billion left over for additional ministry expansion. When I said earlier, when someone steals, someone pays, because the church doesn't give, 36 million people die every year due to hunger. That's one person every second. An estimated 800,000 children under the age of five will die in a year because of diarrhea, because they don't have clean drinking water. That's 2,200 children every day. It's about 100 children an hour dying. And you remember that little boy with his arm under the tire? Billions have not heard the gospel of Jesus. People like that little boy in his village live in darkness, oppression, fear, and have no hope. When someone steals, someone pays. Now all this stuff sounds like it's real far away. Let me, let me bring a need uh, here that's uh, very close. I don't think it's any secret, um, but uh, we here at CBC are looking for a full-time pastor. We're trying to find someone who can emphasize uh, ministry for the youth, the young people, help with the running of the church, keep us uh, running, keep us organized, keep us communicated. We need that. And we need to pay for that. And there's people who give very little, if any, and there's people who just give by serving. And serving is great, but serving doesn't pay the bills. Your service alone won't pay for a new pastor's rent. It won't put gas in his car. It won't put food on his table. It won't put clothes on his family. And it won't pay for his insurance and benefits. Now right about now you're probably feeling a little angry, a little bit upset, a little annoyed with me. Remember when I said earlier about your time is your money? You know, the life you have here is the time that you have on earth and you spend it with your job and you get reimbursed. Well, when God is asking you for money, he's asking you for your tithe. And the tithe is nothing more than an acknowledgement of his superiority and his rule and his reign in your life. So when he's asking for an offering for his tithing, again, it's... Money is a form of a sacrifice you made at your job, which is the time you have on earth. And essentially, the tithing 
is asking for your life. And your life is the most precious thing you have. And that's why when we start talking about money, you buy houses, you buy cars, it turns into an emotional issue, an emotional battle. It's because it's hitting real close to home. It's in your heart. And I just want to remind you of what Jesus said. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Why tithe? First of all, it's an act of obedience. Second of all, it stops the devourer. Do you remember the passage from Malachi where God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you? Back in that time, it was an agricultural economy. Anything that affected the crops, whether it was animals or insects or disease or the weather, that impacted the crops. And God is in control of all of those things. And God could put a shield around their crops so that they produced bountifully and so that the people of Israel were blessed. But because they didn't tithe, God lifted the shield. And the devourer came and wasted their effort, ruined their crops. It was wasting their life. Today, the devourer in our lives is anything that ruins our efforts. And I can tell you it's real. I can tell you that I tithe. It probably sounds silly. I tithe because my dad did not. My father was very tight with his money. He was very frugal, hung on to it. When he was a kid, his father passed away when he was only five. His mother had a very meager job. So whenever my dad had any money, he hung on to it with all that he had. And so even though he was a Christian, I just saw him giving crumbs to God. You know, a token dollar or so in the offering plate. But God has a way, if you don't give him what he's asking for, it's almost like he's taking it back from you. I saw my father lose money in the most bizarre ways, and him and cars seem not to go very well together. I have never heard of an instance where an engine literally fell out of the, of the car. And I was in it when it happened. He spent like three times the amount of money he needed to for a used car. He just, he just, why he did that, I have no idea. And this is a classic one. One day he was out riding the riding mower on the grass. Nobody was bothering him. It was a sunny day. Birds were singing. Everything was fine. And the family car was parked in the, gar- er, in the driveway. It wasn't moving. It was perfectly still. And my father evidently was daydreaming or something, but he rammed the car broadside with the riding mower. I tithe because my dad didn't. I saw his investments go bad. And he also died at the age of 52. When someone steals, someone pays. Maybe for you, the devourer comes in the form of not getting a promotion at work. Maybe it's unexpected bills. You get a car repair, an appliance dies, the sewer line backs up. Maybe it's bad investments. 
Maybe it's family or marital struggles that are stealing your joy and your peace. Maybe it's chronic health problems. And what I just want to say is we all have bad things that happen to us and God uses those things in our lives. And just because bad things happen does not mean you're disobedient. But I think you have to look at the trends and look at the history in your life and see what's going on to see what God is actually doing in your life. I'd like to challenge you today. If you don't tithe or don't give or give very little, can I point you in a direction of tithing, of giving God the honor and the credit that he deserves? I know you can't turn your budgets or family budgets around very quickly. It's very difficult to do. We all have mortgages and car payments and loans and whatnot. But I'm asking you today to start for one penny on the dollar that you earn. Can you make that a budget item to give to God this year? Can you trust him for that? I mean, this is, tithing and giving is a very tangible way of trusting God. It, it's, it, um, it's an interesting way of watching him provide. But try that for a year. Set aside 1% if you don't give. Or if you do give very little, try to give 1% more. And next year, try to do another percent. And I'm not advocating partial obedience. I mean, you need to sit down and talk with God and, and make it straight what you want to do with, with your assets. But think about it. If everything that you are given, that he gives you, if you are spending that on your kingdom, on your legacy, on your desires, that just seems wrong. When he has given us everything, you know, can't we give something back to him? So my question to you is, are you a thief? So when you sit down, you and God, and what you're going to give, I ask you to consider two things. One is that each one of us will stand before God and give an account of our time, talents, and treasure. And the second thing is, is to remember that when someone steals, someone always pays. Dearly Father, we come to you today. 